Hey everybody, welcome into Fantasy Football Now. My name's Evan, and that's Tony, whenever you hear him speak. Uh, Tony, tell him that you're live. I am live. We are live. It is now. Perfect. Uh, so, I'm not sure how many of you actually listened to last week's podcast. Uh, it was less of a podcast and more of an audiobook. That's not what we're going to do today. It's all about efficiency and uh, being quick and concise. So on that note, let's get right into it. We're going we're gonna to recap the games from yesterday and, and last week, last Thursday, excuse me. Uh, we're going to do it in more of a realistic manner. It's going to be sort of a rapid, re- a, a rapid recap, if you will. So we're going to spend about, ideally, 45 to 90 seconds on each game, and then if there's anything more that we need to add, we'll do that at the end. So, starting off with last Thursday's game, uh, the Titans traveled uh, to Jacksonville, dropped the game 20-7 to to the Jags, and, I mean, it, it was kind of a grody feeling that the, that, that the game left you with. And it, oddly enough, it wasn't because of Gardner Minshew's mustache either. Uh, Leonard, Leonard Fournette had a 69-yard run, which is usually awesome. But then you look and you see that he finished the day with 66 yards rushing. And I mean, not great. Um, Yeah. Uh, But the good news coming out of this game is DJ Chark. I mean, you know, every quarterback has that one receiver that, that they, you know, are really fond of that they mesh really well with. And, and Gardner Minshew is choosing DJ Chark which is awesome for those of us who picked him up. Not so great for the D.D. Westbrook owners. Uh, but I believe that D.J. Chark is, as of right now, the number one receiver in fantasy. He has a touchdown in, in all three of his games. Uh, if he, it, yeah, if, if by some crazy happening he's still available in your league, you need to pick him up right now. Um, and because it, it really doesn't look like Garner Minshew's going anywhere. I mean, unless he gets an offer from some sort of adult film company that uh, is in need of someone for the role of really, really sweaty plumber, uh, he seems to be, you know, locked into that spot in Jacksonville. On the other side of the ball, Derrick Henry's still reliant on the big play or a touchdown. He finished with a touchdown, but just 44 rushing yards on 17 attempts. So, yuck. Uh, That's really all I got out of this game. Do you have anything else to add? Uh, two quick things, uh, starting with the Jaguars. If you listen closely, there's an Aussie somewhere out there doing naked stretches before he goes to work in a jockstrap because, oh, my God, the Gardner Minshew fever is real. And he played a great game. Like, it was not flashy. It was not, you know, like a dink and dunk approach. He just was a game manager and he took easy throws and he should have had a third touchdown. If DD didn't drop that pass, we'd be talking about him in a different light. He had a wide open grab in the end zone that he did not catch. And, uh, AKA uncle Rico, AKA homeless quarterback. (laughs) We're going to be talking about him for a while. And uh, as far as the Titans, um, yeah, I, I had talked about the Marshawn Lynch rule last podcast where with a running back that's not offering you anything in the passing game, so many things need to go right. And we already know 
what happened in this game. Derrick Henry wasn't even on the field on the drive where they scored. They had a, I believe it was a holding or a pass interference call with Deion Lewis on the field as they were driving down the field and they got set up inside the five and Derrick Henry got the punch in. So, and he had a really bad drop on a screen pass. That would have been another, you know, one of those big 50, 60 yard screen passes that would have made his day look better. But again, you're right. He's dependent on the big play and you can't count on flags and unguarded screens to roll out a secure RB two with RB one upside. Absolutely. Absolutely. So moving on, we have the the Bengals and the Bills, which, again, kind of a yuck game uh, for a multitude of reasons. The Bills ultimately won 21-17. But for Cincinnati, I mean, week three was – this was probably the time where many fantasy owners mustered up the courage to be like, you know what? I know what Andy Dalton has done to me in the past. But I'm – I'm ready to forgive and forget. And so they rolled him out there and 250 yards, a touchdown and two picks. And that ain't going to do it. And coincidentally, it was also uh, the sort of falling back down to earth game for John Ross, who finished with just two catches for 22 yards and he fumbled. So you, if you're in a PPR league, you probably only got 2.2 points uh, from him. Um, Joe Mixon. I mean, they, they were down by, I think it was, 14 at halftime so they had to abandon the run game pretty quickly uh he went 15 uh 61 yards 15 carries his day was saved by a one yard touchdown pass uh other than that though i mean tyler eifert i mean it's a miracle a miracle tyler eifert has stayed healthy this long but that's not i mean his whole thing his career other than injuries has been that high touchdown upside you know he's not going to get you those hundred yard receiving games, but the, the upside with the scoring hasn't been there. Uh, So if you are unfortunate enough to only have Tyler Eifert as your, your only tight end, maybe go out, look at that waiver wire. Chris Herndon's coming back right around the same time that Sam Darnold is getting out of his little protective bubble. So that's an option for you on the other side of the ball. This is the, the Frank Gore show. 76 rushing yards and a touchdown. The man never ages. It's awesome. Josh Allen had an okay game, touchdown and a pick, 50 yards or so on the ground. Um, but he's, he's got to hold on to the ball, man. He, I mean, we're three games into the season. He has four fumbles. Uh, eventually, he's going to start losing them, and, and that's going to be an issue. Uh, Cole, you know, Cole Beasley had eight, eight catches. John Brown had four. Uh, nothing really sexy there. Um, so I, I, I wish that, you know, we could just get those, those Josh Allen games where he throws for, you know, in the high two hundreds and, and rolls out 80 yards and a touchdown every week, but you know, he's got to come back down a little bit. Yeah. I think, I think there are more of those coming. I think this offense is still, I think they were really starting to find their stride when they were given devil's, Devin Singletary, the work that he was getting, and then his hamstring injury kind of derailed kind of what they want to do. I mean, Gore has a role, but it's hard to sustain consistent offense on the ground with just Gore. And then to have mistake-prone receivers have passes dropped and batted and tipped up in the air and intercepted. Um, I think there are going to be more of those games coming for Josh Allen because their schedule gets tougher. Um, 
And as, as far as the Bengals, um, I definitely think that uh, this is probably closer to what they will be this year than what they've been the first two weeks. I think for John Ross, uh, he saw a lot of Tredavious White. He uh, Tredavious White had erased Robbie Anderson, who plays a very similar role. And uh, just as that deep threat, and it's, it's hard to take the top off a defense that's as loaded as the Bills. Um, Joe Mixon, it was tough to watch him. Uh, I, he didn't look like he was being bothered by the injury. He just didn't have any room to run behind that offensive line. That is thinner and thinner by the day. Uh, Andy Dalton, we know who he is. Uh, he's a pinch QB streamer on a juicy matchup. And as long as he's not playing under the lights, you can play him. But they were on the road against a very good Bills defense, and there wasn't a lot to be done. The Bills just kind of had their way with them. Yeah, yeah. And really quickly, I, I completely forgot to touch on this. Going back to that Jacksonville game, one really promising uh, stat is, oddly enough, with Leonard Fournette, guy got eight targets, had six catches on eight targets. If that continues – he's going to start trending upwards a lot more. I think this game was kind of a fluke for him. Um, and I don't expect him to get eight, eight, eight targets every single game, but if he can, you know, play around in that, in that four to six target, four to six catch range every week, uh, he's, he's going to slip into that, that, you know, low tier of, of running back ones. Um, yeah, moving you can, on. You can definitely oh, do that. Yeah. Uh, the Dolphins traveled to Dallas to take on the Cowboys. I mean, it's, it's always fun. I, I feel like it's going to be a season-long competition to see which team is going to have the highest, uh, the highest, you know, line, uh, you know, against the Dolphins. This week, this week it was uh, the Cowboys by twenty-two, and they ended up winning thirty-one to six. But it it really didn't feel like a team that should have covered that twenty-two point spread. I mean, it was. Uh, I mean, it was really close at halftime. It was only ten to six at halftime, and it should have yeah. been, it should have been worse than that for the Cowboys. Uh, really quietly though, Dallas had two hundred-yard rushers. Zeke had one twenty-five. Tony Pollard had a little bit over, uh, over a hundred. And I mean, all those Tony Pollard owners are are just kicking themselves because you know that no one started him. Uh, for the Dolphins, I mean, I. What, what is there to say? Everyone got excited about, oh, you know, they finally made the quarterback switch. Josh Rosen's not their quarterback. I, I, I've, you know, said that ever since he was drafted by the Cardinals that that dude is, he, he's a bust. Uh, his his accuracy is an issue. That shoulder isn't going to hold up, and now he's on a team that is content on, you know, just turning in loss after loss to probably go out and get a quarterback. So Kenyon Drake, Kalen Bellage, gross, gross. Um, you know, it's, it's the only person on that team that I think has a little bit of promise in a, a and more so in a dynasty league is Mike Gesicki. And I'm a little bit biased because I'm still holding on to him, but all the reports are that he's, he's, Still got that athleticism that he had at, at uh, uh, Penn State. And, it, yeah, it's it hurts my brain to think about this team. So, yeah, it's uh, kind of hard to 
wade through a tank team. Uh, you know, like when we're talking about Jaguars, I mean, you know, Leonard Fournette had put up like an, a horrible, horrible NFL day. But at the end of the day, when we check our fantasy scores, he's up over, you know, 12, 15 points. And you're like, oh, that wasn't a bad day. Exactly. That worse. So, I mean, for the Dolphins, I think I'd throw Preston Williams in there, undrafted guy um, that has popped a little bit in the preseason, shown a little bit of receiving chops, uh, certainly been much more of a safer target than other guys on that offense, like Devonte Parker. Um, I would like to see where he goes next year. As far as if they retain him, I'm not sure how long he signed for, or, you know, if they do end up tanking for Tua and they get somebody competent back there and maybe rebuild that line, that'd be somebody that I would kind of just earmark for next year. Um, we've seen guys do that before on, you know, just as bad situations and come out with, you know, smelling good for fantasy purposes. Um, it, it's it's hard to watch Kenyon Drake as a guy who have, I've always supported and loved Kenyon Drake, even when he was standing behind Lamar Miller um, and, uh, and JHI. Uh, there are talks that he might get traded. He's He was reportedly on the trade block. Uh, I thought that was where his – decline in usage was in the last two games where they were getting blown out, which should be a positive game script for him. Uh, I'm not sure if there's any substance to that, but I'm sure there are teams that would really like to use somebody of his talents as far as being able to have a receiving back out the backfield. And I guess hold out hope for that. Don't drop him if you have the roster spot because it could change by week eight. And as far as the Cowboys, it was a straightforward game. I mean, other than having Tony Pollard in there, you know that line is a monster, and they can put anybody back there. They they had, um, oh my god, I'm I'm losing his name <laughs> when when Zeke was uh, when Zeke was suspended. Alfred Morris. Yep, they've had Alfred Morris back there, and come on, the, the Arkansas guy, what was his name? Uh, Felix, <laughs> anyway. Felix Jones. No. <laughs> Anyway, uh, I, I'm going to uh, – it was a textbook game. They grinded out the clock. Zeke has been the closer. They've been letting Dak throw the ball a lot more in the first half rather than just relying everything on the run game. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think the Dolphins' defense in the end is as bad compared to how bad their offense is. And I think that's kind of – why this game was a little closer than you would think. But I mean, once, once Mario Cooper started working on and saving at Howard, I mean, it was pretty clear that they had the, the deficit to just put the game away and they, they can't, they couldn't stop the run. So. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's really important with Mario Cooper because there was always, uh, you know, leading up to the season, there were reports that he was dealing with plantar fasciitis and as a track and field coach, I am very, very familiar with what that can do to an athlete. And it doesn't, it, that sort of thing doesn't care if you are, you know, a, a mathlete um, in high school or if you are a professional athlete, it will, it will bring you to a, a screeching halt really quickly. And you can't tough, you know, you can't tough it out. And so if, if we're getting this kind of production from him, I mean, Scored a touchdown in every game this this year. He had two yesterday. Uh, I think it's safe to say that that he's in the clear. So um, hold on to him. Don't 
don't worry about him, you know, re-aggravating that and, and, uh, you know, just count yourself, you know, consider yourself lucky. Uh, next up Broncos and Packers, uh, at Lambeau pack one, 27, 16. And for the, for the Broncos, this was kind of the Philip Lindsay show. He had 25 or so touches, uh, 130 yards, two touchdowns. Now, some of that had to have come from the fact that Royce Freeman left with, I believe, a shoulder injury for a while. And that's going to be something that you're going to need, you will need to monitor going forward if you're a Philip Lindsay owner. Uh, anytime that there's a split backfield and someone goes out, you can expect an increased workload for the guy that's still there. And, uh, you know, I, unfortunately, Emmanuel Sanders this was the game where he he kind of regressed a little bit uh I I don't think his two two catches for 10 yards is going to be the norm um but uh, honestly so long as he stays healthy that's that's all we can ask at this point um uh on the other side of the ball Aaron Rodgers is he continues to be a mysterious fig uh I mean there's no doubt that he's still one of the greatest of all time and he should still be in the prime of his career, but to, you know, 235 yards, a touchdown and a pick is probably not uh, in line with the draft capital that you used on him in redraft formats. Uh, Aaron Jones had from a fantasy, from the standpoint of his final score, he had a respectable game, but he should not have, and I do not want to be complimenting him on 10 carries for 19 yards and two touchdowns. That's not, those belong to Jamal Williams. Jamal Williams put in the work. He almost, he averaged about five yards per carry in this game. Um, you know, Devonte Adams, he's always been known as, you know, one of the more consistent wide receiver ones out there. A uh, little, little slow going in the beginning of the season. You know, four catches, 56 yards, sort of took a backseat to MVS in this game, who had about 100 and a touchdown. I don't think that's the norm. Um, I can't envision Aaron Rodgers routinely giving MVS or Geronimo Allison or, you know, anyone not named Devontae Adams double-digit targets uh, going forward. But it still hurts. still hurts if, if, if you know, you dropped a first-round pick on Adams and – you're getting less than 10 points a week. So, um, yeah, here's the, the bigger and better things going forward. Yeah, I think I think we need to start having the conversation about what we expect the Packers to be for here on out. I mean, we, we think about Aaron Rodgers in this 2011 MVP light where he's just Superman and he can make any throw from anywhere on the field. He's, he's slinging it 50 times a game because he wants to. Uh, and we saw the eventual decline from those heights under Mike McCarthy when things weren't going well and the rest of the team wasn't thriving. But now we're seeing a Packers defense that has quietly put together a really good unit. They have uh, Jair Alexander, who really made Emmanuel Sanders' life really difficult, which is part of uh, why he scored so low on the Broncos' side. Uh, they have a solid pass rush. They have... Um, you know, solid linebackers that are homegrown names 
mixed with the infusion of free agency that they really dipped into this year. And we are actually seeing or remembering, remembering what it's like for, for Aaron Rodgers to have a legit running game, which he hasn't had in so many years. And it's, you, you don't have to work as hard and nothing is on your arm. Like it's been the last three or four years. So if he's not going to be attempting crazy numbers of passes and, you know, downfield air raid, almost Aaron Rodgers vintage style, we need to kind of evaluate what does that mean for what we, how we view him and his receivers. Uh, Devonte Adams has, you know, it, the nomer of the Packers wide receivers being fantasy gold and especially the number two. I think if we're going to be seeing more of a conservative game script from Rogers, that he's going to lean more on the run and that's going to mean a big fantasy hit for one of the guys that I thought was a top two wide receiver in dynasty that was untouchable. And there's nothing you could do to ruin him except take the ball out of his hands. Uh, as far as on the Broncos side, again, they overachieved a little bit in some of the games that they were playing before Manny Sanders looked great last week. And, uh, Cortland Sutton still has some big games uh, when Flacco can find him downfield, but I think this is more of what they're going to be. It's going to be a nightmare trying to own Philip Lindsay and Royce Freeman and trying to know when to start them because it's it going to be either of them on any given week. Um, you know, from the beginning of the offseason, they were talking up Royce Freeman, talking up Royce Freeman, how efficient he was on stacked box attempts, and that Philip Lindsay was going to seed work, and it looked like that was going to happen until week one, and it was the Philip Lindsay show, and then week two, it was the Royce Freeman show, and then we're right back in week three, he gets hurt, and it's the Philip Lindsay show again. If these two guys are healthy, it's going to be hard to nail your shots until we see more of a consistent pattern from them. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I'm a Philip Lindsay owner in a couple leagues and um, as much as I would like to believe that this is going to be a consistent level of production for him. I'm yeah, I'm doing exactly what, what you just said. I'm, I'm just sort of trying to time it right and, bench him when I need to set him uh, start him when I need to and just hope for the best um what's next yeah next up we have the Falcons and the Colts and uh as a little side note uh, about the Falcons (laughs) well I mean the real unfortunate news out of this one was Keanu Neal um going down without with an Achilles injury and and then getting flagged for it uh which ultimately led to the Falcons losing the game. They gave up a touchdown. They only lost by three points. So, um, you know, feel really bad for Keanu Neal. He just, you know, had a big recovery of his own. So hoping that he gets better quickly. Uh, But as for the game, I don't know. This, This has been a rough, rough start of the year for Devontae Freeman. Um Many, many people have, have already given up on him. Uh, but Edo Smith went out with a concussion. And I think this could be a really pivotal moment in the season for Devontae Freeman. Because 
being kind of in that timeshare with Ido Smith, there was no, it, it's, it's really hard to kind of get a rhythm and, and, and get on a roll. If that's the kind of back you are, if you require, you know, a quarter full of consistency and touches to, to, you know, set that pace. Um, and he's, he could very well get an opportunity to do that now this week. We'll have to see how long Ido Smith is out for, but you need to be paying really close attention uh, to Devontae Freeman, the usage he's getting and what he's doing with those snaps. They gave him four targets and 16 carries. He had 16 carries for 88 yards. Um, and, I mean, if he can be that – if he can stay healthy at 18 to 22 touches a game – uh, that's going to result in a level of production that you probably drafted him for. Uh, if he falls on his face this week, bail. I mean, th- that that's going to be the cutoff. If you can, you know, salvage it and get something for him, like, you know, a, a, a high-end wide receiver three, low-end wide receiver two, or something like that, do it immediately. Um, Julio Jones. Stud, eight catches, 128 yards, and a touchdown. Austin Hooper, though, six catches, 66 yards, and two touchdowns. That's not normal. That's going to that's going to come back a little bit. Um, and uh, I think you you can you can really tell when you look at that stat line and the fact that you know Calvin Ridley only had one catch for six yards and one target. There's going to be movement going down the line with regression both ways uh as, as for the colts jacoby Brissett, he's still available in about every one of my leagues and i keep telling myself like if i'm going to stream someone it, it can't be him he's not going to be able to keep this up and he does he's super efficient completed over 75 percent of his passes yesterday for over 300 yards uh didn't turn the ball over and that was all the more impressive when you consider that they were, that the Colts were, you know, probably a little bit conservative when it came to Marlon Mack and, you know, him coming back from that calf injury. Um, I mean, Mack still had 19, uh, excuse me, 18 touches and, and a touchdown, but I mean, they're really just throwing Jacoby Brissett into the middle of it. They're not, they're not holding anything back. Um, D.Y. Hilton left the game. Uh, I believe it was a, a hand, or excuse me, no, a quad injury. Yep. And so we'll have to we'll have to monitor how that is. Quads can be pretty tri- uh, tricky, as as any sort of soft tissue injury can. Um, but uh, we'll have to see if it's if it's more of a strain or a bruise or or what, which should be available to us a little bit later in the week. I mean, I'll be nice to the Colts before I start tearing apart the Falcons. Uh, I love Frank Reich as a coach. I think that there are, you know, a few coaches in this league that can really morph what they're given. And it goes into just the way that he coaches and the way that he schemes things up with his coordinators and stuff. And I was not shocked when Brissette started coming out and, you know, actually leading an offense and being a game manager. I mean, they now have the offensive line to do it. We saw the difference in Andrew Luck when he was playing last year before he retired. 
what a stable pass blocking offensive line can do. And when you have the run game spearheaded by Marlon Mack, who leads the NFL in rushing attempts right now, and very quietly so, a man that was probably left for dead in your uh, drafts once the news of Andrew Luck retiring, uh, because we were expecting, you know, money in the bank, double digit touchdown upside from a guy on one of the best offenses in football. And he fell down draft boards and he's been putting together a great fantasy campaign for the first three weeks. They lean on him and, you know, have Brissett manage the offense and then hit TY over the top. Another guy who probably was left for dead once, depending on when you drafted once Andrew Luck retired. Uh, I hope you bought him low while you could. I cannot say I was one of those, but uh, on to the Falcons. Okay. Um, It's, I'm tired of talking about the Falcons being this amazing revolutionary offense because we have not seen it on a consistent basis since Kyle Shanahan left that offensive coordinator position. He was the one that galvanized everything and put that record setting campaign together when they went to the Super Bowl and lost because they didn't have the defense, whatever. But this team plays down to its competition. Like I've never seen except for outside of maybe the Steelers at their height. Like they went from punt to field goal, punt to interception to field goal with two minutes left in the first half. And they went out without a whimper into the second half. And then Matt Bryan led three straight scoring drives on, on touchdown. It's, it's almost like they're trying to outsmart themselves and trying to fit something that doesn't work. And that's what I see them doing with Devonta Freeman. I know they want to get him going. I know they paid him the money, but they do not have the offensive line to do this consistently. They And they were fortunate that they had such a soft matchup right now in the Colts because Darius Leonard missed this game, which is a huge blow to their run defense especially. And that's also why Austin Hooper was open big time, uh, you know, because they're missing that off-ball linebacker presence. And I'm I'm glad for fantasy owners that we got something out of Defonta Freeman this week, but uh, and it, and it feels gross because you have to continue playing him because we don't know Edo Smith's status, like you said, and they have no reason not to give him the ball. But when you have guys like Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley giving you Calvin Diddley, and you're trying to, mm-hmm. you know, give the ball to Austin Hooper uh, in a game plan sense, that's fine, but. You, this team can't play 60 minutes of football. They're either giving up gobs of points on defense or locking people down on defense and they can't score on offense. It's, it's so frustrating to see somebody like Julio Jones, a generational talent to waste on this team. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, moving on in, in to what was billed pretty much universally as the game of the week. Ravens traveled to Arrowhead, and uh, it was an exciting game. What, for one reason or another, it was a pretty exciting game. The Chiefs ultimately came out on top, 33-28. Starting with the Ravens, uh, Lamar Jackson looked awfully mortal for the overwhelming majority of this game. Uh, had it not been for sort of a, a, a broken-down scramble uh, for a touchdown – he would have delivered not much. Uh, he finished 
no touchdowns, no picks, just under 300 yards, pa- excuse me, 267 yards passing. And uh, you, you'll have to excuse me here. All my notes uh, just disappeared when my when my phone decided to to reset. So we have to go to, yeah, can, to a. I can a, take a, it over. Oh no 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 no! no. Challenge accepted. Um, gonna have to get, dive deep into the archives here. Uh, the the good news is that the run game is still alive and well. Uh, Mark Ingram had over 100 yards and three touchdowns. Uh, I mean, it was it was really good to see. And even Gus Edwards even got in on the action. Um, for the receivers, though, you could tell that Kansas City put in some time and work during during the week leading up to it. I mean, I believe there were six different Ravens receivers who were targeted at least four times. And between Marquise Brown and uh, Mark Andrews, uh, arguably their two best receivers thus far this year, uh, there was only, what, like five, four or five catches between them on 16 or 17 yeah, targets? Yeah, nobody had more than four. Uh, Nick Boyle was a leading uh, reception. Yeah. He had four, and I think everybody else had three or less. Exactly. Um, I don't think this is going to be, uh, you know, something to expect consistently from the Ravens. But, I mean, t- I think this game was won by Tyron Matthew. That dude was all over the field for the Kansas City defense. And, um, I mean, it was it, it really paid off for him. On the other side of the ball, Patrick Mahomes is – I mean, there's – at this point, there's really not a whole lot to say about him. He's good at football. Uh, three touchdowns, no picks, 375 yards passing. I can think of one thing to say about him. It's that he's on pace for 6,000 passing yards. Oh, that, <laughs> that would be – that would be something. Um, yeah. the, the, for the running backs, though, uh, chaos. Uh, I mean, you have the, the the most stability in the league when it comes to your quarterback. But at the running back position, I mean, who knows? It, it came out about an hour before the game that even though LaShawn Le- McCoy was was feeling good and and was suiting up and was and was active, that Daryl Williams uh, was going to make the start for the Chiefs. And he actually he had a he had a really good game. He he had over a hundred. 100 total yards, and um, LaShawn McCoy got, got the glory, though, uh, you know, registering two touchdowns. But uh, he ended up re-aggravating that, that ankle injury, so we're going to have to monitor, you know, yet again, the injuries with the Kansas City running backs. Uh, no real news on, um, on Damian Williams yet, but it's, uh, it's looking like full-on committee mode, which is great for – the real life Chiefs in real life football, but as far as fantasy is concerned, you, ugh, you stay away. Um, with the receivers, though, I mean, week one it was Sammy Watkins. Last week, it was uh, uh, oh my gosh, I, uh, Demarcus Robinson. Uh, Demarcus Robinson, excuse me, thank you. And uh, this week it was Nicole Hardman. Uh, I mean, and and it didn't. Didn't take very many touches for him to, to, to get it done. Just two catches on five targets, but close to 100 yards receiving and a touchdown, um, most of which came on that 83-yard 80, play. And uh, I mean, as most people remember, 
he the decision to draft Michael Hardman was made right on draft day when the whole Tyreek Hill thing started escalating and and you know as a as a track coach I gotta show love for you know track athletes in the NFL it can cover up anytime you are dealing with that amount of speed and this is this is you know useful information for you know going forward especially in dynasty leagues but uh as a member of that that uh university of georgia track team i mean the the speed is not uh, normal for the nfl and even with a receiver a rookie receiver who who's still learning the intricacies of playing in the nfl there might be situations where he makes a mistake on the field but if you have that speed guarantee uh, it, it can it won't always but it can absolutely make up for some of those mistakes look i mean just look at tyree kill it was the same thing with him track athlete if he did not have that speed do you think that he would be in the nfl and and as successful as he is now no because he's not that polished of a route runner and he's undersized so keep that in mind if Michael hardman is out there grab him all right because he is he is poised to i mean sort of fall in that same mold of Tyreek Hill where on any given play, if that DB isn't giving him like 15 yards of padding, he could go at any point. Um, now, if you remember correctly, and I've, I've been quite public about this because I'm, it's awesome for my confidence, but last week I said with Sammy Watkins, and because I'm a Sammy Watkins owner, you have to start him. I think that in his performance – and his results are going to improve. But I said that I wouldn't be surprised if he finished the game yesterday with a performance sort of in the range of five catches for on nine targets for 65 yards. He finished with five catches on eight targets for 64 yards. I'll take that as a win um, <laughs> in, in a sense because I was, I, I guess, right. But at the same time, that's not what I want as the owner, um, as the owner of him. So, I mean, the Ravens' defense is is something to behold, so I'm not going to read too much into it. I think this is going to be a a big, big game uh, offensively for the Chiefs uh, against the Lions next week. So um, I expect big things from from Sammy Watkins. Yeah, to tag on what you were saying about track players, um, you know, there's there's plenty of success stories of other guys, and uh, you know, even guys like Marquise Goodwin that were. Uh, Olympic athletes, you know, having success in the NFL. And I, th- I don't think uh, we, we are such a stat driven society. You know, we're, we're sitting here talking about fantasy football, giving stats and stuff, but mm-hmm. you know, we, we go nuts for the combine numbers and we go nuts for, you know, what a guy can't do and what a guy can do. And, you know, I was one of the people that, you know, from a receiving standpoint, Hardman was raw and I did not know if he would be able to fit, but you know, right situation, right scheme, right opportunity uh he's just a he's just a burner and that track background will help with that but he's just a good football player he's just able to do what's asked of him and he's in a perfect situation but what i take away from this game from both sides of the ball is snap counts 100 percent snap counts because if you look at the receivers uh they ran the chiefs ran a ton of three wide sets so you've got Sammy Watkins on the field at 96% of the snaps and DeMarcus Robinson at 91. So they're the primary two, but they run so many of those, uh, you know, 11 personnel with, 
Nico Hardman in on 63% of the snaps. The way that Pat Mahomes plays quarterback, the target share dictates that Watkins is the number one and his floor is higher because of that. But I don't think we can talk about the rest of these receivers in the same secondary and tertiary tier that we usually do for, you know, ordering the number of targets in an offense because any one of these guys can go off on any week. And if you need a boost in the flex, when you're facing a juggernaut, these guys are the guys to have, but uh, more on snap counts, huge thing for Mark Ingram. He's been gold this first three weeks and uh, definitely worth the people that believed in him and paid up for the draft capital that he was probably around fourth rounder by time, by the time draft came around. And uh, this last two weeks, he's posted 58% and up to 60% snap counts from, which is a huge improvement from the, first week where he was in a near even three-way split with Gus Edwards and uh, Justice Hill seeing those you know we love to talk about the every down backs never come off the field but in fantasy you don't need somebody to be out there 90 percent of the snaps if they're in the proper situation 58 to 60 is plenty for Ingram to keep putting up these numbers and if he's on the field he's going to keep doing this he's not going to have to fight guys you know for snaps and even in the uh Kansas City backs. The tell here is that Darrell Williams was not getting the same carries as Shady. Even with Shady having a bum ankle and supposedly being, you know, third on the list as far as needed backs for the day behind Darrell Williams and Darwin Thompson, he was getting the red zone work. He came away with a pair of touchdowns on a bum ankle. Darrell Williams was in on 58% of those snaps, almost twice of Shady's 38%. So Shady was doing the valuable role. And this is, if you look deep enough and you look and you start seeing trends like this, you can really find gold where you otherwise would think it's a mess. Uh, Darwin Thompson is on the outside looking in at the moment, but as long as Damian Williams is out and Shady can go, if I have both and I'm trying to start one between Shady and Daryl Williams, I'm putting Shady in every time. Yep. Yep. Agreed. Uh, the last game on my docket is uh, the the Saints going up to Seattle and pulling off a little bit of an upset over my Seahawks. Uh, it I, I read a stat. It was actually I believe the the first they were the first team to come up to Seattle and beat the Seahawks at home in September since I be, it was either two thousand eight or two thousand nine. Um, which Hasselbeck I mean, years. Yeah. Well, <laughs> getting close to the, the, the Jim Mora years and the, the throwing kickers Ooh, under the bus. Yuck. And yeah, yeah, those were dark, dark days, uh, except for the neon green alternates that were introduced then, but I digress. Uh, it, you know, as much as I still consider this an upset, I, I'm not surprised. I mean, Sean Payton has, as I mean, He's been the coach in New Orleans for this long for a reason. Um, I think that the fact that New Orleans stayed on the West Coast after last week's game rather than flying back home, I think that had a profound impact on just the level of conditioning that their bodies were in at kickoff. Um, and the the real big winner from this game on 
the Saints side was Alvin Kamara. I mean, he had 25 touches, two touchdowns, over 160 total yards. Um, but this game reeked of kind of flukiness. I mean, right off the bat, the Saints scored on a on a uh, punt return for a touchdown when, I mean, that was one of the worst punts I've seen out of Michael Dixon, the Seahawks punter. Yeah, that's um, not good. And 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 it just it just opened everything up for that returner like like the Red Sea. Um, I can't see that happening very you know uh, very often going forward. Um, and then as much as I would like to call it a fluke, Chris Carson with uh, he's got a fumbling problem now, um, yeah. and it, it it comes at a bad time because Rashad Penny is out with a hamstring injury, so we we don't really have that many more options um i said we seattle doesn't have very um a a whole lot of options unbiased takes yeah exactly um i mean here's the thing the saints are heading back home drew Brees is still going to be out for a while but the way that their schedule is set up there's a real chance i mean they have dallas at you know in, in new orleans next week then tampa bay at Jacksonville, at Chicago, and at home against Arizona before their week nine bye. In a, I don't think they can beat Chicago in Chicago without Drew Brees, but every other game, either because the team that they're facing is less than stellar or because the Saints uh, can take advantage of that home field advantage, I can see them realistically coming out of that week nine bye and possibly getting – Drew Brees back with a six and two record. I am, uh, I would be even more confident with like a, a projecting a five and three record coming out of that buy. Um, but Camara, I mean, a stud like we always knew. Um, Taysom Hill did not play that big of a factor in this game, thank God. Um, and uh, Michael Thomas, a quiet, a quiet game. Five catches, fifty-four yards, and a touchdown. I mean, it it gave you the points. He didn't. He certainly didn't lose you a week. Um, on the other side of the ball, though, Russell Wilson was kind of the guy. Uh, Top scorer on the week for quarterbacks, wasn't he? Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Just a bit. I mean, I through it was a 40, 50, 40 in our league. Yeah. Well, in one of my leagues, he scored seventy-one points. Um, so, I hate to be the person going against that. Uh, he had 50 attempts, which has got to be close to his career high. 406 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions. That's really impressive for, you know, the, the kind of game this was where the Seahawks had to take some chances and, and, and had to probably force a few things to not have turned the ball over. Um, is is what you like to see, obviously. But there was a another stat um, with Russell Wilson where uh, he was the first quarterback since 1950 with at least 400 yards passing, 50 yards rushing, and two touchdowns through the air and two touchdowns on the ground. Um, I mean, pretty impressive. I mean, just when you think that, like, oh, okay, well, you know, I mean, he lost Doug Baldwin, he lost this and this, the offensive line. You know, he's getting getting a little bit older. He's not going to rush. You know, he, he wants to be a pass-first kind of guy. Then he does something like this, and it's like, okay. <laughs> I mean, is this 
Is this the norm? I don't think it's the norm. I think he was he he is at his best. Excuse me. I think the Seahawks are at their best when he sits. He finishes a game at like 250 yards passing, two two to three touchdowns, and you know 20 to 30 rushing yards. Um, you know, usually when you see these big uh, performances from him, the end result for the team is not good. Uh, but yeah, Chris Carson, another fumble, uh, and CJ Procise is not built to sort of take that load if, if Rashad Penny has an extended absence. Tyler Lockett, though, man, I mean, he's he's taking full advantage of the fact that that Baldwin's not there anymore, and uh, 11 catches on 14 targets for 154 and one. Uh, I mean, the Seahawks could really have something here if if Metcalf you know, continues to learn and progress and Disley stays healthy. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to be excited about, which is strange after a home loss in Seattle. Yeah, I mean, we have not seen a game like this from Russell Wilson in a long time. A long time. He has not put up games like this. He's had good fantasy finishes, but never, you know, two in the paint, you know, and two on the ground. Um, If they're going to have a running back controversy – with Chris Carson fumbling the ball and Penny out for an extended period of time. And like you said, Procise not able to hold up. You will see more of this from Russell Wilson. You will, because they have to move the ball one way or another. And if the core foundation of them running the ball 60 times a game, isn't an option. Russell Wilson's going to be running the ball 60 times a game with his, with his arm or with his legs. I'll tell uh, you right now, if that happens, Sierra is going to walk into Pete Carroll's office and slap the hell out of him. <laughs> well, I mean, they, they better figure out what they're going to do about it. But uh, I, I was drafting Tyler Lockett early and high everywhere I could because I believed that he was going to take over the Doug Baldwin role. He was – Uh, He was great and efficient last year, and, you know, there was some questions about him being able to replicate that. But when you go from a a fantasy player that was ridiculously efficient and so successful on an unsustainable pace, it's easy to write that player off. But oftentimes what happens is when it's the right coach and the right situation, they open up – you know, the opportunities for that player and volume substitutes the need for that crazy efficiency. So I think that being able to have a guy that can just step in and do that Baldwin role, and he's not forced to do the heavy lifting possession role, like with, uh, you know, how David Moore and uh, DK Metcalf are used, you really start to see this kid has been special for a long time and has not had the proper situation to really flourish as a high wide receiver too that he should be. Um, but he, back he's to, the re, he is the receding nightmare. Yeah. Yeah. And he, he, he hacked, you know, he was able to avoid Marshawn Lattimore the majority of this game because Lattimore is the size matchup for DK Metcalf. Um, just being able to spring somebody free like that and scheme them is uh, is totally different. But I, I told everybody to not count out the Saints. I believe in Frank Reich, and I believe in Sean Payton. I was telling everybody last week, if you got that far, do not count these guys out. They will rally. They will figure it out. Whether or not they can make it is up to them. But if the, the worst thing that happened for the league is that they heard that Drew Brees is coming back because – 
everybody's going to underestimate them. And they went into Seattle and Seattle was not ready to play them as hard as they played. Um, Michael Thomas, even though he saw, you know, a ton of, uh, a ton of attention, he was still able to put up a great PPR day for, you know, not having his, his quarterback. Um, I mean, you got to watch out for this team. They will, if they can rally around Alvin Kamara. I lost the rest of my notes for this, but <laughs> you pretty, you pretty much cover the Saints side for everything that I want to say. So, yep. Uh, oh, I'm missing yep, I'm, go ahead. my, uh, my games here, I think. Yeah. Cause I'm, I'm looking at the wrong side of it. I'm seeing some of week two and some of week three. <laughs> no, we're, we're good. Land this plane, Tony, land the plane. Land in it. All um, right, so we are yeah, yeah. in Tampa Bay where Danny Dimes and the Giants just stole a win off of the Buccaneers' misery, and I am so pumped. I am so excited. I was, you know, I, I will curb my enthusiasm to the point where, you know, they gave us this one. They really did. But uh, 32 to 31 down to the wire on a missed field goal. Daniel Jones had two rushing touchdowns in this game. Uh, had a, it was over 300 yards trying to come back from a deficit. Um, I cannot believe that, you know, we're talking about Mark Ingram putting up three touchdowns and the afterthought of the giants box game was the fact that Mike Evans got back on track for 190 yards and three touchdowns because they lost the game on the kick because Daniel Jones for his first start looked great. He was protected in the system that Pat Shermer has built around him. It looks very similar to what we saw in uh, Minnesota when he coached a great year out of Case Keenum. And even before that, when the Vikings were left for dead and they were playing with Sam Bradford, it's very quarterback friendly and he takes the throws that are there and doesn't try to do too much, doesn't try to force anything. And I I loved the fit. And that means huge things for fantasy from the Giants offense because you actually have viable pieces here. You know, between Evan Ingram being an absolute target monster, Sterling Shepard being a nice complimentary piece and a safely, you know, a safety valve for him over the middle. Uh do have to talk about uh Saquon Barkley, though, because <clears throat> the early reports are high ankle sprain out four to eight weeks. Um, not ideal for uh, for those of you that most number one overall in fantasy. Uh, you are uh, you are kind of in a rough spot because high ankle sprains. I I am not the expert you are, but I know the high ankle sprains are definitely a uh, entirely different beast yeah i I mean the uh anytime you deal with with high ankle sprains and you start bringing in um you know a more advanced traumatic um what's the word a a a greater trauma to some of those ligaments uh particularly the ones that are connecting your your two lower leg bones together. Anytime you're affecting that, it's just going to amplify the recovery. Um, 
as and uh, you know it's going to affect anyone at any position but um especially at the running back position when you need to be able to cut without even thinking about it um and more so when you are as powerful and explosive as Saquon Barclays it's one thing if you're someone like Frank Gore sorry Frank Gore but <laughs> I mean he's not he's not you know the same guy he was in you know 2006 where where you know he carries that explosiveness but yeah with Saquon Barkley you know I'm I I don't I haven't gotten a chance to to look you know to to do a deep dive into this injury and the actual um you know process of of his specific case um but my gut is telling me it's going to be more on the uh shorter end for recovery really uh, yeah i mean there's there are um and and again i'm basing this off of not uh i i'm 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 just essentially assuming this with him based off of the fact that he has gone through a similar injury uh, at Penn state and, you know, just the, all the reports on social media of him. Yes. He was walking with a limp. Yes. I, I realized that even with things like Achilles tears, you can still walk it off and, 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 you know, not have to be carted off, but I mean, he's not going to uh, be that optimistic. If if he puts weight on it, you're going to know pretty quickly if this is something that's going to set me back two or three months or if right. this is going to be, you know, something that is going to require four to five weeks of intense rehab. And listen, there are things that, like, when I sprained my ankle in high school, there are steps that I took and that were and equipment and processes that were available to me as just a nobody high school athlete. This is the NFL. They, there are people out there with that do some really goofy stuff, but the results are there. I've seen it happen before. I would not be surprised. Bottom line, if he is back by, you know, week six or seven, I wouldn't be surprised by that. I would expect him more eight or nine. But I wouldn't be surprised if it if it if it's pretty short. Just to just to wrap up this matchup, I mean, talk about frustrating backfields to own. Ronald Jones, what the heck, man? I mean, we we thought we were kind of safe doing the volume play with uh, with Peyton Barber, but Leftwich kind of just throws in whoever he feels like, whoever he feels has you know the hot hand, and that's going to be yet another headache for fantasy uh oj howard signs of life congratulations not a stellar game by any means but you saw something it finally happened and it all came at the expense of chris godwin only getting five fantasy points on the day so uh, congratulations everybody else and uh everybody else that has bucks players that you were you were waiting on um i guess we can move over to the Texans eking one out over the Chargers, uh, 27, 20. Um, I mean, now that we're on the Texans, I can finally talk about what a guy in our league, Chris did to me. He, I got annihilated by the tight end position this week, plus Deshaun Watson, because I had, uh, Deandre Hopkins, 
and Mark Andrews, both of whom, you know, DeAndre had a good game, but didn't perform up to the standards. And he started Deshaun Watson and Austin Hooper against me. So he put two touchdowns on me, an awesome 31 point performance by Deshaun Watson. And I got dunked on, on my side of the ball. Deshaun Watson just figured today was the day that he wasn't going to throw touchdowns to anybody except tight ends. Um, you know, you got one to Jordan Akins. You got one to uh, yeah, two to Jordan Derek. Akins. Two Jordan Akins. Yep. And yeah. This is the norm. This is not how the Chargers, I mean, the Texans function. Um, they were exploiting a matchup with the Chargers being depleted at the safety position. Um, I hope there's no one out there sitting there scratching their head about what to do with DeAndre Hopkins. We saw his ceiling week one. No, it's not ideal that he's not getting all these, you know, crazy touchdown receptions and stuff, but better days ahead. Um, but the story remains the same for the uh, complimentary pieces around this, uh, around this team between Kenny Stills and uh, Will Fuller. They're, uh, they are what they have been. And that's just complimentary. I know that we were kind of expecting bigger things out of Will Fuller. Um, there's still time for that. And certainly not an easy pass defense to be, you know, to be taken over in the chargers, but, uh, and another messy running back situation with between Carlos Hyde and Duke Johnson. Uh, another one you're going to probably want to stay away from if you can, um, Duke is probably worth a spot start once he starts seeing more volume because Deshaun is just not targeting him in the passing game yet. Uh, on on the Chargers side of the ball, Keenan Allen went absolute ham on the Texans secondary. He, uh, I don't have his stat line, but he had two touchdowns. He was well over a hundred yards. Oh uh, yeah, he was. He was thirteen. Yep, thirteen catches, seven, uh, seventeen targets for one eighty-three and two. And I mean that's that's twenty eighteen Adam Thielen, twenty eleven Wes Welker. Those, that's huge target volume. Uh, ride that hand with Keenan Allen until Melvin Gordon comes back. See what they do with the with the offense in that case. But uh, for right now, it's the Keenan Allen show and uh, another decent game from Austin Eckler. The uh, the league winning pick in your fantasy league this year. Uh, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I have, I have many shares of Austin Eckler um, in uh, pretty much every non dynasty league, including unfortunately a non PPR league, but he's still, uh, it, it, it seems like every time you check up, uh, you check up on that game, you look at the recent plays and it's like Austin Eckler got a pass for 11 yards. Austin Eckler rushed for nine yards. Like, all right, keep, keep feeding them. Keep feeding them. What do you think they do when Gordon does come back? What do they well, do? Well, I mean, it's, it's really hard. Not uh, since we don't know what the relationship is. I mean, in in my mind, Melvin Gordon, he's not just going to show up looking like Jamarcus Russell, um, <laughs> all out of shape. Uh, so my guess is that he'll be physically ready for a, a workload pretty close to 
what he's capable of. I don't know if they're going to kind of stick it to him and, you know, start him off with 10 to 15 touches a week. That's the worst case scenario because then it's going to be like, okay, well, I have both of them. Who do I start? Do I start both? Um, I think both will be startable. Um, I think as far as Gordon, they'll probably ease him in like they did with Zeke week one. You know, they didn't know if he was going to be available for the first game. Tony Pollard was fired up, ready to go. And Tony Pollard really didn't see too much in that game, but mm-hmm. neither did Zeke. Um, I think Eckler still is locked and loaded as a uh, reliable passing option in that. I think his value is stable even after Gordon comes back. Um, I just think you are either looking at basically what it's been since Melvin Gordon has been there with, you know, you're talking about a perennial top six back, top seven back, or they find a trade partner because I don't think they're going to pay him. I think they were pretty adamant about that. Um, I think he walks in free agency. I really do. You know, the, the interesting thing, uh, regarding when he when he comes back is going to be uh because I, I think it's generally acknowledged that it's going to be right around what like week 10 um that's going to be right around the time that uh hunter henry is going to come back from that tibial plateau fracture and if keenan allen is still healthy there's going to and mike williams is healthy i'm not sure because you know that just like you said they're not just going to kick Eckler to the curb when when Melvin Gordon comes back so there might only there might be a pretty clear ceiling just because you're not going to want to take opportunities away from these other guys uh, for a running back who you haven't seen play in nearly a year Um, so it might be you know 15 to 16 touches a game that might be the max because you know that Austin Eckler is going to get probably 10 to 10 to 12 and Keenan Allen's going to get double digits. And if Hunter Henry and Mike Williams are back, there's probably another, you know, 12 to 15 combined. So, yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, if you have both Austin Eckler and Melvin Gordon, it's better than having neither or only one of them. Um, but you're really going to have to pay attention to, to the on and off the field relations. Yep. And we got, we got three more to hit. We'll, we'll do them quick. Um, yep. Niners, Steelers, uh, the Niners, I, I feel like they are the uh, the scavengers of the league. Uh, I, I think their roster is somewhat suspect, but they have been given some absolute beautiful matchups with teams that are just going through so much right now. And the latest victim was the Steelers, 24-20 at home. Um, you know, the Steelers did not look good on offense. Um I, I had was very open about Juju Smith Schuster and his value following losing Big Ben. Uh, outside of the seventy-plus yard, or however long a touchdown that was, uh, touch the touchdown he caught from him. He Juju does not did not do much in that game. Uh, the the Niners secondary is better than advertised, but uh, we are in trouble for. Uh, people that are depending on the Steelers offense until we can see Mason Rudolph put it together. Um, James Conner, I, I was 
very vocal about sitting him this week as well, because even last week before Big Ben even went down, uh, he was having trouble getting going. And I'm kind of, you, you, you have to roll with the punches. You know, I know a lot of people have spent either a first round or very top of the second round pick on James Conner. And you've got to damage control because if this guy is not going to get the rinky dink passing targets that saved Fournette's day, you're in trouble because this is a game scripted quarter uh, game scripted running back that is not going to get the same goal line opportunities in a worse offense. And uh, same thing for Juju. Uh, I don't have a problem holding on to him. If you think he's gonna, you know, turn it around or get it, you know, get it together. But I would not be afraid to move him. If somebody gave me something decent and it helped me somewhere else. Um, the Niners. Yeah, we are still waiting for the boom game from George Kittle, but in a PPR, you can't be mad. He's he's involved. He's he got jobbed the first or second game. You know, he had touchdowns called back. Um, he's just as involved as he was underneath. You know, the other the other uh, quarterbacks that are not named Jimmy Garoppolo from last year. Um, you just got to be patient with it, and. Uh, don't don't start panicking when you see all these different, you know, the tight ends lighten up the scoreboard in other places. Um, uh, the running backs, I mean, uh, a Shanahan running back is one of the most valuable running backs in the league. Doesn't doesn't even matter who they are because you know you see you see Jeff Wilson Jr. put up double digit uh, double touchdowns last week, and then you know turn right around and see running backs just doing damage in a way that other players don't, you know, I mean, yeah. Uh, sorry. I'm, you can cut this part out. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I was I, trying to, I, while I was talking and it wasn't working. I, no worries. I'm in the no worries. So no, the, uh, it, I mean, you, you, you pretty much touched on everything. Um, I, I mean, it was ugly, ugly for Connor, especially when you, when, when you look at the fact that, he fumbled late in the fourth quarter and the Niners ended up going down and scoring the eventual game winning touchdown off that. Um, I've seen running backs usage reduced for far less of an offense. Um, so keep an eye on that. Yeah. Uh, George Kittle, it's, there's something brewing. There's something brewing. So pretty soon he'll have that, you know, 10 catch. 125 yard, two touchdown game. Um, and uh, I mean, the targets dictate that it's, it's him. He is the focal point. He had six yeah. receptions. Um, nobody else on the team had more than three and it's just, it's coming. <laughs> yep. Um, and yeah, that's uh, Juju and Juju until, until he shows me otherwise is just, I would say, I'm not going to go, crazy but i mean for me he's a high ceiling wide receiver too yep what do we got and uh we have got minnesota and oakland Oof, this this was an ugly game let me tell you what i mean 
this was a perfect game for the Vikings. What they want to do, they just want to smash you with the run and run it down your throat as much as they possibly can. You got Dalvin Cook finishing with 24.3 fantasy points. He was an animal yet again, you know, six for 110 on the ground and a, and a touch on the ground, four for 33 through the year. He is their offense. And uh, you don't have anything to worry about if you're the cook owner, but you really need to pick up Alexander Madison. If he's available, he's the, uh, he's the handcuff to Dalvin cook because in a game script where, you know, he, they had a positive game script the entire game and he went 12 for 58 and a touch in his own right. Now you shouldn't count on that kind of production, but the takeaway here is if you are in a position later in your fantasy league, not so far yet, but in dynasty leagues or as the postseason approaches, if something were to happen to Dalvin cook, you need a player that can step in and, you know, at the very least guard you in case he's not able to go for a game time decision past kickoff, you know, normal kickoff times. And Madison is definitely somebody, one of the few handcuffs that you should be interested in getting as the Dalvin cook owner. Um, and as far as receiving, feeling another two touchdowns, um, but it's not looking good for the receiving options in this offense. Uh, Thielen had a nice fantasy day. He was over 20 points, but he was only 355 and a touch through the air. And they had a really nice designed uh, rushing touchdown for him. So he was one for one and a touch on the ground. Man, if you are – a Stefan Diggs owner, you got to be pulling your hair. <laughs> mm-hmm. I really, I really don't know what to say about it anymore. Like I was saying about Devonte Adams, you need to change what you expect from these players. And Thielen Diggs has been such a dynamic duo. Uh, and once the narrative came out this off season that they were going to try to run the ball a lot more, you know, I was of the mind that I didn't really believe it and that they were going to be forced to use the players that they pay the most money. And it's just not the case. Diggs 315 scoreless. And nobody really of note. I mean, you had rookie tight end Irv Smith for a dynasty watch. He had a three for 60 and uh, I think he ended up getting hurt and leaving this game, but this, this is going to be run, run, and run again if by some chance you can get Dalvin Cook from somebody who doesn't know what they're sitting on. You're sitting on a top five back right now, and you need to go get him. Yep, absolutely. Um, let's, uh, let's move over to the Raiders side really quick because after this, we actually have four games left to go plus our Monday night preview. So here's how, here's how we're going to do this. Um, we'll get through Oakland and then every other game after that, let's just cap, you know, we'll, we'll come up with one talking point for each game. Uh, and, um, then we'll just, we'll, we'll wrap these up really quick. Um, so, I mean, as, as, as for the Raiders, I mean, uh, the, the reports leading up to this week were that Josh Jacobs was healthy. Everyone's excited. That's awesome. 10 rushes for 44 yards. Blech. The real star of this game was Darren Waller, 13, Catches, 14 targets, 134 yards. I mean, if chances are he's gone in pretty much every league from the waiver wire. If he's not, Absolutely. go grab him. This is going to be an ugly, ugly offense the entire season, but there can 
uh, still exist really, really um, talented fantasy stars, even in bad offenses. Um, moving on, the uh, <laughs> uh, the Jets and the Patriots. Uh, I mean, the the line off from this game was uh, twenty one, um, and this is as a Le'Veon Bell owner. I almost wish that they would just bench him, that the Jets would bench him, because they're feeding him the ball just like the Steelers fed him last year. I mean, he had 18 rushes and, you know, four catches. And, but he's only getting – he's getting less than two yards per rush. You're not going to win games with Luke Falk as your quarterback. It's just not going to happen. Even with Le'Veon Bell, all you are doing is risking a, a superstar talent to injury. Um, so, I mean, we're not going to go, we don't need to go into the stats with, I, I mean, it, it, it might no, be, it might be uh, smart if Ty Montgomery is available in your league. Anytime you have a running back that gets this kind of usage, if, if there's an injury, I mean, <laughs> that all the, all those touches have to go somewhere. So if you have an extra roster spot, go ahead and pick up Ty Montgomery uh, on the new England side. Tom Brady was just, you know, clinical. Uh, Josh Gordon owners exhale in unison everywhere. Mm-hmm. Julian Edelman owners, maybe not so much. We'll have to see what happens with that injury. Um, but uh, again, like I just said, Edelman had 10 targets. If he misses time, they're going to have to go somewhere. Um, and uh, yeah, Josh Gordon is in, is in a prime position for that. Uh, next up, Lions and Eagles. Um Lions ultimately took down the Eagles by three points, 27-24. Carry uh, on Johnson, you wouldn't know it by his stat line, but, I mean, they gave him 28 opportunities to touch the ball. Uh, ended up with 22 touches. Um, but uh, 20 carries for 36 yards, salvaged with a touchdown, yes. But um, it's sort of an ugly game by the by the Lions, Marvin Jones had over 100 yards and a touchdown, which uh, I could have really used last year, Marvin. Anyway, um, for, what's that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, for the for the Eagles, though, uh, I mean, the epitome of a split backfield. Uh, Miles Sanders, 13 rushes. Jordan Howard, 11 and a touchdown. Um, you know. Still kind of waiting. Yeah, just like you said, Nelson Aguilar turned the ball over once, but had a dozen targets, eight catches, um, and two touchdowns. So, I mean, I, we'll we'll take that. Uh, we all knew that Zach Ertz was going to regress a little bit from last year, um, but I think we all drafted him with the expectation that he would still probably get nine to eleven targets a game and you know be like the guy in the red zone. Um, that's not happening as of yet, but um, you know, hanging yeah, there. having a whole bunch of receivers definitely helps his floor. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, next up the, uh, the Panthers and the Cardinals. This was the, Absolutely uh, dusted the Cardinals, the, the Cardinals are going to be the defense that you play your, your pass catchers against. I mean, you can play everybody against them. They're, they're terrible. Their defense is terrible, which means their offense is going to be great because they're always catching up, but uh, not not so much from the stats in this game. 
Yeah, no, I mean, it's uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens, what the look of that defense is like when Patrick Peterson comes back because, uh, I mean, Buda Baker, their safety is – He's a local guy. He's, uh, I've seen him play in person dozens of times, and he's legit. And he carries speed, and he's like kind of like a mini Earl Thomas out there. Um, Earl Thomas Light, I should say. Uh, and, I mean, Patrick Peterson's still got it, so whenever he comes back, that will have some sort of effect on the defense. Um, but, yeah, like you said, it, Kyle Allen, four touchdowns coming in. Uh, uh excuse me, four touchdowns in the game. Christian McCaffrey, 153 rushing yards and 35 receiving yards, busted a 76-yarder. That's what we expect from him. That I mean, Last week was, was pretty dreadful. Um, but uh, And then on the other side of the ball. Greg Olson, six for 75 and two yeah. touchdowns. The backup quarterback. Play yep. the receivers against... Arizona. Exactly. Um, yeah, then uh, for the Cardinals, Kyler Murray didn't have the yards that he's had in the, in the, the last two weeks, but he started running. Um, had two touchdowns through the air, threw two picks, but yeah, eight rushes for 69 yards. That is exactly – and oddly enough, they were still in the game. Uh, I mean, it, it, it got away from them a little bit after the uh um or you know during the fourth quarter but the more he runs by choice uh, i mean it's it's gonna help the team it's gonna help um fantasy owners as well david johnson still a rough day 11 for 37 um but had had a touchdown through the air nine targets six catches i'll take that um i mean it's i, I won't take less than that uh, but I will uh, – that will get it done for me. Um, and then last but not least from last night, the Rams took down the Browns in Cleveland 20-13. Uh, to 13. Uh, You know, I'm – again, I'm a little biased because he's a, he's a local boy here, but Cooper Cup, man, I mean, he's one of the smartest. 3.2. Yeah. No, I mean – and I know that – it just sounds like I'm I'm mimicking everyone on um, you know all, all the commentators and stuff like that, but on on NBC. But I've seen him play like this for years and years and years. He's I mean, he, he, uh, he he's he's from he's from Washington. Uh, played football at I believe Davis High School in Yakima, in the middle of the state, and then yeah, then went to Eastern Washington University and just lit it up i mean you want to talk about a receptions monster i mean he did everything there um and this whole the the way that he plays and and the the tactical side of his game is second to none uh, i mean it's very similar to the a name that comes to mind is is doug baldwin but he cooper cup is probably a little bit smarter uh, when it comes to his on-field awareness than, than Baldwin was. Um, I mean, it, he's not, he's not going to beat you with his size like Julio Jones. He's not going to beat you downfield like, like you know, Nicole Hardman. Uh, but he's going to outsmart you on the field. And that has, you know, 
Goff has locked onto him as that go-to guy. Um, I mean, it's getting to the point where, I mean, he'll probably never be a wide receiver one. These were wide receiver one numbers, and it could happen at, at you know, any given week. Um, but, I mean, you're going to have to start, you know, taking him seriously when it comes to, you know, where, where you're ranking him. Because I know they have three receivers, uh, three main receivers there, but, I mean, he, he could be the guy consistently. And last but not least, Gurley. Four for 43. I mean, we can talk about how bad the Browns' offense has looked. They're a young four, team. 14 for 43. 14 for 43, sorry. That's not what you drafted. That no. is, This has not been what you drafted, even your second-round discount if you got him there. We tried to tell you to stay away. Yeah. No, I mean, it's not, it's not great. Um, yeah, especially, I mean, the 14 for 43 would be, I mean, is bad. But, I mean, if he had, like, you know, six catches for 80 yards and a touchdown, I mean, okay. But he had about as many catches as I did last night on one target. <laughs> um, and, uh, I mean, shocker, real-life NFL coaches don't really care about your fantasy team, um, but that doesn't make it hurt any less. Uh, on the other side of the ball, Baker Mayfield. I've said it all along. Dude's overrated, um, and uh, you know he was quoted in the paper as saying, "Like we'll we'll fix it." What? What? <laughs> okay. You, I mean, these are things that need to be fixed. I mean, you had an entire off season. Fix it then. I. I I don't believe that it's going to be fixed. I think that there's going to be a little bit of chaos there. I think the presence of Odell Beckham Jr. there is going to lead them into manipulating their offense to force feed him the ball, which works to a point, but it's the NFL. They're going to, teams will figure out a way to stop that. And then they'll make you go, okay, well, now what? Um, and if you get to that point, then it's not a, oh, yeah, we'll fix it. No, it's people will lose their jobs and fans will boo every game like they did last night. Yeah, I mean, they, they've still got time to figure it out. Um, obviously not what you looked for, for the price tag that these Browns players costed you in a draft league. But, um, I mean, the play calling was terrible. I mean, if, if you're struggling on offense – um, I just – I understand the game script was well within the realm of giving Nick Chubb 23 carries, but that's that's not going to win you games. It's just not. Not the way this team is built. This team needs to fix its offensive line now. And if they can't, they need to find a way to get the ball out of Mayfield's hands much quicker because he doesn't have time and he's gun shy and he's running from pressure that – may not even be there all the time. Uh, and receivers can only help you in that light. I, I don't care if they target, you know, all of the players six times like they, you know, targeted Beckham only finish it for six for 56, but you've, you've got to be able to retool if things are not working. I know Freddie kitchens is a running backs coach background. It's his first gig as a head coach, but you you do. I agree. You have to do better. You have to, three weeks in. You should not be doing the same things that you were trying to do 
the first two weeks and they, they got to fix it. Yeah. Um, last but not least, uh, the game that starts uh, in like an hour and a half, um, Monday night football. Yeah. Uh, bears, bears at Redskins. So, uh, let's do this. Uh, Tony, give me one thing that you're looking at that you're going to be watching on the Washington side of the ball. Washington. Um, I don't think there's going to be much room on the ground game. I mean, Bears are pretty much the defending top defense. Um, what I want to see from the Redskins would probably be Terry McLaurin. Uh, I, I was definitely part of the you know, cultural blank that we all took as fantasy owners and just kind of let this guy tumble down draft boards and rookie drafts. Uh, I couldn't even tell you where he went in ours. And he has been lights out. Awesome. You know, just, just going into a situation that really didn't have a number one or any kind of identity in offense or anything. Um, I think he's going to have a rough go. Uh, he's a speed guy and the bears definitely have the pieces to stop that over the top. Um, and uh, what's his name? Case Keenum is not uh, the most reliable quarterback when he's got a ton of pressure in his face and he's not the most reliable down the field, but you probably don't have a better option than to play Terry McLaurin. If you have him on your team, because he's been that good for you. And I think this is the game that you're looking for him to just come out. Okay. Or better yet, rise above and really set the fantasy world on fire as to one of these next big young receivers to come out and produce. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Completely agree. It's, it's exciting because uh, I mean, there were a few people talking about him uh, leading into the season, but uh, yeah, I mean, he's, he's, he's laying it down for me, for the bears, it's actually kind of a two-part thing, but they go together. Uh, I want to see the Bears use David Montgomery sort of like how uh, Atlanta used Devontae Freeman. I think David Montgomery is one of those running backs who is going to require a certain amount of touches to you know, hit his stride, at least in, uh, at least in this early part of the season. Don't focus on the, the little gadget plays with Tariq Cohen. Split him out in the slot. And that's fine because he's going to require a little extra attention. But pound that ball inside with David Montgomery. Get him, you know, 17, 18, 19 carries. And then from that, if you have success running the ball, use those opportunities to take those deep shots we talked about last week with Mitch Trubisky to someone like Taylor Gabriel, to someone like Allen Robinson, guys who are going to be – you know, in a position to hit a home run ball with, you know, not a whole lot of pressure on the quarterback. Um, if you do that, I mean, I think the Bears win regardless tonight. Um, if the Bears stick to how they've been playing these last two weeks, I think it, it'll be something like, you know, 20 to 17. Uh, if the Bears settle in, if they trust their run game, if they, you know, take, you know, low risk chances over the top with Mitch Trubisky, I think it can get out of hand in a hurry. And uh, I, I think that's what's going to happen tonight. I think we're looking at 
probably a, more like a like a 34 to 14 type of game. Um, and then really quickly, uh, give me one bold prediction that you have for this upcoming week. Any team, any player, what do you got? Any team, any player, huh? Yep. Uh, who do the Giants play next week? Uh, the Giants are – you should know that, man. They're uh, know, at home against the Redskins. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, I would hmm. – I'm going to need to actually find a bold prediction because I don't really have any. All right. Well, I will start it off then. I'm going to say the the Chiefs play at Detroit next week. And I'm going to say I – I, I don't know the last time it was done, but I'm going to be bold. I'm going to say that the Chiefs have three different receivers over 100 yards receiving. Um, yeah. yeah I and, I mean, I, obviously the uh, – there's there, there are four main candidates for that with Michael Hardman, Travis Kelsey, Sammy Watkins, and um, actually, no, that's that's it. Uh, I think those three. Sammy, oh no, 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 um, uh, Demarcus Robinson. Excuse me. Um, so three of those four will end up with a hundred yards receiving. Wow. Uh, still, still searching for one. Uh, bold prediction. Let me just let me see some matchups, and I'll find an upset. I don't know why I can't find one. <laughs> How about uh, anything? But Daniel Jones, give me something about Daniel Jones. Uh, all right. Well, we'll go to we'll go to uh, my Giants at home against the Redskins. Uh, going into Tampa was a huge win. Uh, we may have not earned it, but uh, there's there's some serious fire under Giants players right now because they hope that this game was Daniel Jones being found the guy. Uh, w in front of a home crowd, and I think Daniel Jones puts up probably another rushing touchdown, and I'd say either. 200 yard uh 275 yards and two touchdowns or you know interchangeable how about both let's be bold let's be bold both there we go there you have it and yeah even with us trying we still made this longer than war and peace so if you've listened this far i can guarantee it was less painful than last week but you're still an hour and a half older uh, we will catch you guys next week um, and pick up from there. Yep. Peace. Have a good one, Tony. Two.